Well, uh, good morning. How are we doing this morning? Yeah, yeah, you're feeling good? It's May 15th. Uh, the Suns are playing game seven tonight. Y'all gonna watch? Yeah, go Suns. They better get it done. That's all I gotta say. Or, uh, there's gonna be, so we'll pray for that maybe a little bit later. But um, welcome. I'm so glad you're here, especially if you're new with us. As Joe mentioned, please fill out that Connect card and let us know you were here. Drop it off at the Welcome Center. We got a gift for you. Don't leave without your gift. Great. All right, so recently I watched this dramatized documentary on the life and work of a woman named Elizabeth Holmes. Now, if you're not familiar with that name, let me explain. Elizabeth was a Stanford dropout who had a vision in the medical field that caught the attention of millions. Her idea was to simplify and expedite the blood testing process for individuals. And so Holmes' invention would eliminate the need to have numerous vials of blood taken when you did have your blood testing done and uh, followed by days, maybe even weeks before you got results back. Through her machine, people would be able to get results in minutes with the simple prick of a finger and they could get it all done at their local Walgreens. So at 20 years old, Elizabeth Holmes started her company, Theranos. Now, before long, the, some of you are like, I know the name of that company, right? You know where this is going, some of you. But if you don't, if you, if before long, this company was worth $9 billion. Investors from all over the world wanted to get in on what they determined one of the great medical inventions of our time. There was only one problem. It didn't work. The device she created, called the Edison, didn't work properly. Blood samples were getting mixed with others. Testing hadn't been done by the FDA and approved by them. And test patients were being misdiagnosed by the dozens. People were told they had the HIV virus when it wasn't actually true. It didn't work. And so afraid for what would happen if word got out about the failure of her product, Elizabeth Holmes played cover-up. She used older technology that wasn't hers to give positive reports and then claimed they were from her machine. She rigged presentations to show manipulated results when those watching believed what was happening was happening in real time. And she continuously lied about the progress of her product and the medical revolution it was about to bring. Now, eventually, her lies were revealed in 2018, and Theranos was quickly dissolved. In January of this year, she was found guilty on four charges of criminal fraud, and she faces up to 20 years in prison, which her sentencing will be in September. And her sidekick through it all, Sonny Balwani, faces more than a dozen wire fraud and conspiracy charges that could cost him 20 years in prison as well. Now listen, Elizabeth Holmes' story has garnered the attention of the public eye. Her actions are nothing new. You can go on Hulu and watch the dramatized documentary. You can go on HBO Max and watch the actual documentary. I mean, this is like big, big news. But here's the deal. We all are guilty of bending the truth. We all are guilty of being deceitful. And we all are guilty of lying to others. It's an ugly part of what has happened because of sin. And if you've ever been caught in a lie, you know 
how devastating it can be to those around you. So it begs the question, why do we do it? Why does somebody like Elizabeth Holmes feel the need to lie and deceive people at such a high level, even in her case? But why do we feel the need to do the same? Why do we feel the need to deceive and lie? And what is the real cost of our lying and deceit? Well, as Joe mentioned, we are continuing in our series in the book of Acts, and we've made it to chapter 5. Today we're going to be entering into chapter 5 of this fairly long book. And up until this point, things have been pretty going pretty good for the church, right? Like we see them uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. They go into the streets of Jerusalem. They preach about Jesus and all that he's done. People are flocking to the church. They're giving their lives to the church. We see them start to build this community of, of good faith and unity. We learned last week that they were united in heart and mind. They became generous with everything they had. People are selling their, their possessions and their land and giving it to the apostles so that everyone in their community would not be in need. The church community is starting to find its rhythm, and it is having an impact and influence in the culture in ways it never imagined. But as we enter chapter 5, things start to get a little messy for the church. For all the good things the church has done, it's still a community composed of imperfect, sinful people. So it stands to reason, then, that the church would experience some imperfect, sinful moments in its early life, which is exactly what happens at the start of chapter 5. Now, I know we're not a community like that. We are a community of perfect, saintly people, and we have no problem, so this may not apply to you. Just kidding. If you're imperfect, you're in the right place. We all are. None of us in this room are perfect. If you're perfect, you're free to leave, okay? That's, you're free to leave. But here's the thing. As we enter chapter 5, things get a little messy, and just full disclosure, This is one of those passages I kind of wish I could skip over. I kind of wish I could just, "Mm, let's let's not talk about that one. Not because it's not important or it's not relevant, because it's a little difficult. But here we are in a series going through the book of Acts, and regardless of whether we may like what is written or not, it's there for us. And the Bible itself tells us that all of the texts in the Bible, no matter how we feel about it, is beneficial to us. 2 Timothy 3, it says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work, including Acts chapter 5. So if you haven't done so yet, Grab your phone or your tablet or whatever you have. Open up the YouVersion app. Joe talked about it earlier. Great app. Uh, Make sure you download it. You can follow along with everything we're going to read here. We're going to be in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Now, I'm going to pray for us this morning because today's going to be a little challenging. And I want us to just allow the Spirit, as we just sang, to come and rest on us. Give us a spirit of humility to hear what God has for us this morning. God, we, we come to you this morning in humility, recognizing we are imperfect and that we are in need of a Savior. God, we bring our dirty laundry into this room this morning. We ask, God, that you would, you would reveal to us where it is that your Spirit wants to heal us and change us and move in us. And as we look at this fairly challenging 
passage, God, I pray that you'd give us eyes to see what you would have us see. You would give us ears to hear what you want us to hear, and that as a result of what happens this morning, we would leave this place not discouraged, but encouraged because you have given us exactly what we need in this moment, God. Thank you for your word and its honesty, its brutal honesty with us and the story that you have written. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Let's start there. But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Okay, now, right before this passage, what we covered last week, we learned that the church is experiencing incredible unity. Luke, the author of Acts, says that they were united in heart and mind, and that because of that, it is causing this increase in generosity in unimaginable ways. Verses 34 and 35 in chapter 4 says this, There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. People were selling everything for the sake of the church moving forward. And that author of Acts, Luke, even gives the example of a guy named Barnabas who sells a piece of his land and brings all of the prophets to the apostles and says, Here, care for this community spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally, use what I have so that no one in this community is in need. So it doesn't come as any surprise that another group of people, Ananias and Sapphira, decide to do something similar. This was starting to happen within the ranks of the church. They sell some land and they decide to use it to benefit the church, only they make one mistake. They claim They brought the full amount of what they sold, but really, they didn't. So Peter responds to them. Verse 3. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. So Luke doesn't tell us how Peter's aware of Ananias and Sapphira's lie. Maybe somebody told him, maybe the Holy Spirit reeled to him, revealed something to him. Maybe Peter is really up on the real estate market at the time, and he was like, there's no way that's what you got for that. I have no idea. We're not sure. What we do know is that he, re- he realizes Ananias is lying. He's aware that they're lying, and he's also aware Like, they didn't have to. They didn't have to lie, which is really interesting, right? Ananias and Sapphira weren't required to sell their land. This wasn't a prescription that the church was all of a sudden giving, nor were they required to give any any of the proceeds to the church. They could have just sold the the land and kept it from themselves. This is not a communist, you know, group of community. The generosity of the church was done out of people's own free will, And so why they chose to lie seems to boggle the mind of Peter. Why would you do this? Why would you lie to the Holy Spirit and God about something you didn't have to lie about? If Ananias would have just brought what he had to the apostles and not claimed it was the full amount, this story wouldn't even be an axe. It would have been just like another thing that happened within the life 
of the church. No one would have thought different or questioned their decision. But because Ananias claims the full amount when it isn't, things get pretty ugly. And it begs the question, why? Why does he do it? Well, here's the reason. He lies because he wants to save face. He wants to seem better than he actually is. He wants the apostles and the church community to think of him as more generous than he really is. Which is why we all lie, isn't it? We lie because we don't want people to see who we really are. We want to save face. We, we lie and deceive because we want others to think of us in a way that makes us look better than we really are. I mean, all of lying and deception comes down to this. We even lie to get things so that we can be seen as somebody that's better than we actually are. We're imperfect, broken, sinful people, but we don't want anybody to know that. And so we lie and we deceive and we make it seem like we're better than we actually are, which is Ananias's problem here. Now, for most of us, we might get away with that for a while, but eventually it comes into the light. But for Ananias, the consequence of his lie is about to get all kinds of real. Verse 5, as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. Okay. Let's recap, shall we? Ananias sells some land. He tells the apostles it was the full amount when it wasn't, and he didn't have to. Peter confronts him and asks him why he did it. And the next thing you know, Ananias is dead on the floor. I mean, this is pretty intense. It's a little intense, right? Now, the text doesn't say this, but the implication is that Ananias didn't just have a sudden heart attack, right? This is not like he had some underlying condition that the Bible isn't telling us or something like that seems to implicate that he was struck down because of his sin. And it's confirmed because of what happens next. Verse 7, about three hours later, his wife came in. She's going to set the record straight. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, was, was the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied. That was the price. Doesn't set it straight. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the Spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they'll carry you out too. It's like Peter knows it's happening. You're a dead woman walking all of a sudden. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. And when the young men came in and saw that she was dead, can you imagine? Like, seriously, again? What is happening around here? They carried her out. They buried her beside her husband. Verse 11, great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened? A natural reaction, right? Like if we heard that something like this happened in our church, we'd be like, whoa. Like, all right, uh, <laughs> gonna, gonna dial back the line, uh, I think is what I'm gonna do. So Ananias, like Sapphira, or Sapphira, continues to go along with the lie and two's dead before she knows. And that reaction of the church is fear. So Here's the takeaway for you today. Here's the takeaway. If you lie, you will die. Okay? <laughs> Go in peace. 
Just kidding. Just kidding. Listen, this, look, this is an abnormality in the Scriptures, okay? It's an abnormality in the life of the church and God's people. People lie all the time in the Bible, and only in a couple instances do they die right afterwards. The other examples in Joshua 7, where Achan dies for his lie, which is actually very similar circumstances. And so what we should be asking is, is why does Luke decide to keep this text in the book of Acts? I mean, the reality is, is it doesn't really paint a great picture of the church, does it? Or of God, for that matter. It, it makes it seem like God is this really angry person who wants to just strike down anybody who defies him. And that's not really the character of God at all. We see that throughout Scripture. Why, then, does Luke decide to put this story in the book of Acts? He didn't have to. He wrote it. He could have just disincluded it. The story of Acts doesn't contain every moment of the life of the church. He could have easily just excluded the story, and nobody would have thought any different. Why does he include it? Well, here's why. If we go back to our passage from last week, Luke begins verses 34, or excuse me, verse 32 by saying this, all the believers were united in heart and mind. There was this unity among the people in the church that was exactly as God had wanted and had talked about hundreds of years prior to the church's formation. And because of that unity, everyone was cared for. Spiritually and otherwise, people were cared for. But there was one thing, one thing that Luke and the apostles and God knew would destroy that unity more than anything else. You know what it is? Lies and deceit. The story of Ananias and Sapphira is a cautionary tale. And though the consequences of their lying and deceit seem harsh, I know, the reality is that when we lie, a death occurs, not only in our souls, but in our relationships. Luke is revealing in the story of Ananias and Sapphira, not what I said earlier, he's revealing that if we lie, unity will die. When you lie, you kill unity with it. And if we lie, the unity that we have formed as a church, as a family, as a community, it will die with it. This happened at the community level for the church, Ananias and Sapphira's deceit threatened the unity of the church, and God decided to act as he saw fit to ensure the community understood how devastating lying can be to them. Now, fortunately, this is not an everyday occurrence, right? As far as we know, nobody else dies because of their lies, nor do we. God's grace allows opportunity for us to repent and turn from our ways and be forgiven. But like Ananias and Sapphira, every time you and I lie, a death occurs. Whatever unity we have among each other in community, it experiences death. And whatever unity you and I have personally, when I lie or I deceive you, there's a death in our unity. You know, my guess is that you could think of a time when you told a lie or lied to, and it caused a death in the unity of your relationship with that person. 
Nothing is ever really the same. Trust is destroyed. Love is questioned. Intimacy is broken. And it's all because of an unwillingness to be truthful and live with integrity. It's all because we're afraid to be who we really are. Here's the thing. Unity is powerful, but it's also delicate. It's really delicate. It needs protecting, and the best way to do that is through integrity in our lives. As soon as we decide to lie and deceive, the possibility for unity and its power are extinguished. Not just in the church, but in every relationship in our lives. Luke includes this because he wants us to understand, listen, there was this powerful unity among the people in the church and it took one lie, one lie, didn't even need to happen. They didn't even need to say it. It took one lie to destroy and threaten the unity of the church. And God was not about to have that unity that they had just formed threatened. One of Paul's explicit warnings to us in his letter to the Colossians is this. Colossians 3, verses 9 and 10. Don't lie to each other. You've stripped off your old sinful nature and it's all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Here's what he's saying. Don't lie to each other. You've been pretending your whole life. Stop pretending. Put on a new nature. Walk in peace and integrity, admitting your faults, getting to know your creator, getting to know who you are in a community of people who are chasing after the same thing. Stop the lying and deceit because it is threatening the unity among you. And he says this because Paul knows the destruction lying can cause in our relationships. He wants the church to be healthy. He wants the church to be unified and nothing destroys that more than lying and deceit. You know, gossip is one of the major destructors of church communities. But really, gossip is just lying. It's deceiving, right? We, we go behind people's back, and we talk about them, or we talk about a problem, but we don't actually deal with the issue with the person. And then when we see the person, what do we do? Hey, how's it going? Good to see you. Hope, every, hope the family's good, right? And we're just lying our way through the conversation because we haven't dealt with what's going on. Gossip is just a form of lying and deceit, and it is a destroyer in communities and in relationships. And the consequences of Ananias and Sapphira display the seriousness to which God wants his people, the church, to take lying and deceit. There was a fear among the church as they recognized God ain't fooling around here. This is a big deal. God knows that the world doesn't need another group of people who will lie and deceive their ways into saving face and getting what they want. The world doesn't need that. We got plenty of that to go around. He wants the church to be a place where truth is told and grace is received, where people aren't required to be something they aren't, and where the watching world can see that unity is possible when truth among each other prevails. That's what the world needs. That's what God wants to construct in our midst. So this morning, I just want to give us some time to reflect and confess to reflect on the areas of 
your life where you may have been deceitful and lived a lie and confessed them to God. And let me just say, if you're thinking to yourself, I'm not deceitful, you're being deceitful, like you're just <laughs> deceiving yourself, okay? We all do this. It's okay. This is who we are. It's part of the process. And I recognize this may be difficult because you might be caught up in a lie that has been going on for years, decades, but until it is exposed and confessed, the unity you have with God, this community, and the people it directly affects, it'll continue to be in a state of death. And even though the fates of Ananias and Sapphira were sealed to caution us and the first believers, God is a gracious God who allows us to confess and be renewed. Paul says, don't lie to each other. and said, put on this new nature. Get to know your creator. This is the grace of God. Yes, God is serious about our sin and our lying and our deceit, but he's also very serious about his grace and inviting us into a new way of life, telling us it is an integrity that is invaluable among each other. No deceit or lie you have told or lived is too much for God to heal. 1 John 1.9 says, but if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all wickedness. You know, for some of you, you've been deceitful with God for far too long. You've run and you've hid and you've tried to pretend as if he doesn't exist or he doesn't care or that you've got it all figured out. But I just want you to know that he does, he does exist, he does care, and he knows you don't have it all figured out, and that's okay. It's okay. He loves you. He wants to be united with you in a new relationship with him through Jesus. He's calling you to confess your sin and experience the new life that comes from being unified with him. It's why Paul says in Romans chapter 10, these words, he says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it's by opening, openly declaring your faith that you're saved, that it's okay. You can stop deceiving yourself and others because new life awaits you in the person of Jesus. Confess and believe and experience it for yourself and for all of us. A reminder, new life still exists in Jesus. Whatever lies and deceit that you've been holding on to, there's an opportunity for you this morning to confess and believe and experience His grace and His change, to shed the lies and to shed the deceit in your life, experience the freedom that comes with this, to go to those whom you've deceived and confess, which is a powerful second step, by the way, to go to those who you've deceived, who you've lied to, and confess. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Healing comes in that next step. But this morning, I just, right now, I just want us to take a minute to reflect and confess. You know, confession is a spiritual practice on our part where we recognize we don't have it all together that we're imperfect, sinful human beings who are in need of a, a holy, gracious, loving God, and we confess our sin to say, God, I need you. I need you to give me new life. I need you to, to wipe the slate clean so that I might walk 
in freedom. And so I want us to practice that this morning, as small a time we may have, to just reflect and confess whatever the Spirit brings in on your heart, to say, God, I've deceived you. I've deceived people around me. I've deceived myself. I've, I've spoken so many lies. Whatever it might be to just speak with God quietly this morning. I just want to give you a minute to do that. as you pray, I just invite you also to receive God's grace. To remember that God loves you. That the Spirit of God comes to free you. So receive that this morning. Give thanks for that in the midst of our imperfections and our lies and our deceit, God comes to us in the person of Jesus. He gives us a second chance. He gives us an opportunity to be healed. Receive that. this morning we surrender ourselves to you. We, we confess, God, that we have fallen short. That, that in our desire to want to save face, to appear better or stronger or wiser than we really are, we've lied and we've deceived not only you, but others. We've hidden We've gossiped. And so this morning, we confess, Jesus, that we need you more than ever. Our desire is your desire to be a church united in heart and mind. And Luke reveals that the thing threatening that at its greatest level is our lies and deceit. And so, God, may you rid us of that. May you cleanse us of that. May you allow truth to reign in this place, that even when it's difficult to speak, that we would deal with our conflicts in, in a way that brings glory to you and doesn't threaten the unity of this church community. God, thank you for Jesus who lived the life we couldn't live, the perfect life, a life of truth and no lies, no deceit. 
and went to the cross and died for us, shedding his blood, breaking his body so that the the forgiveness of sins would be possible, that our lies and our deceit would be washed clean and rose again three days later so that we would experience new life beyond lies and deceit to form a new community uh, to the watching world that says we value integrity, we value truth among each other because it builds unity among us to invite others to come and experience that same joy that comes with the new life found in you. God, we thank you for him by your spirit this morning. May you do something new in us. We surrender to you, Jesus. On our knees, we surrender and we ask that you once again show us grace and mercy and love. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I I, want to ask you one last question and we're going to sing together. What's your next step? Is there somebody you need to talk to? Do you need to talk to a pastor here about maybe something that's going on that you don't feel comfortable? Do you need to talk with one of your friends about something that you're just not sure how to talk about? What's your next step? I pray and I, I promise if you take that step, it may be painful, there may be consequences for it, but God will honor it. And he will begin to restore a unity in your relationships and in the communities belong to. So this morning we're going to sing I surrender to Jesus. And so I'm going to invite you to stand. And may we have a posture of surrender to Jesus. Thank Jesus. We confess that we've fallen short. Come and fill us and give us new life.